0: Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy. Discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else
1: that comes up. All right!
2: Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey Randy, how's it
1: going? Hey, Jake, I am doing great. How are you doing today?
2: I am wonderful.
1: Awesome. That is great news. You know, I have forgotten when did you start playing and start competing. Could you remind me of that? Yeah, so I started playing
2: in 1995 and uh, started competing in 1996. And my first event was the Yakima Flight and Kite Festival.
1: Ah, yes, that's right. I remembered it was the mid 90s, but I wasn't exactly sure what your start date was. And uh, I was just curious because, you know, the last few episodes, we've been really kind of diving into the history of our sport and talking about those early epic tournaments like the Rose Bowl and those NAS tournaments and the FPA tour tournaments that had like amazing turnouts and you never got to partake in any of that. So I was curious to ask you, what were some of the big tournaments that you attended and participated in when you started in the mid nineties?
2: yeah it's an interesting question so the uh, that first tournament the kite and flight festival actually was a really big tournament so of course it's my first tournament and I had no idea what to expect but there were a lot of players there and a lot of people who I had not seen on video didn't really know anything about and um, just sort of realized how much growth I still had left to do in my In my skill level, you know, you go to a tournament, you're like, yeah, I'm badass, I'm going to show off, and then you
1: get there, and you're like, "Eh, not really, I tied for last, so there you go. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably a pretty similar experience to everyone's first tournament. You know, you kind of go there all hungry and excited, and you're like, wow, I've got a lot to learn, right? Totally. But
2: then, yeah, thinking about some other ones, so I guess another standout one for me was FPA Worlds in Hawaii. Uh, For me, that was my first time really traveling Yakima wasn't that far from me because I lived in California but going to Hawaii was this really big deal getting on a long flight and all that stuff. but then at the tournament there was very large turnout. Um, that's where I met Paul Kenny and there are also a bunch of international players. I think Peter Bowie from New Zealand was there and uh, Stefan and Roland from from Europe. There's a whole bunch of European players there. so I don't know it was just uh, another eye-opening experience and actually there's people that I've seen at that tournament that I don't think I've ever seen at tournaments since.
1: That was definitely a, a deep tournament for sure.
2: Yeah, I think that's where I first saw Joey Hudaklin play. And I think he was playing with uh, Craig. What's Craig's last name? The airbrush guy. Simon.
1: Craig Simon. Captain Airbrush.
2: Cap- no, Craig. No, not Craig Simon. Craig Smith. Craig Smith. Craig Smith. That's Smith. it. Yeah. yeah. Captain Airbrush. Yeah. And I remember Mm -hmm. they played with a small disc and someone told me, because I was so new, people were like, oh, watch out for this team. Oh, check out those guys. And they're like, you never know how this team's going to do. They could crush everybody or they could just be nothing happens. It's really risky. Interesting. I think I saw Gina. Yeah, I saw Gina sample there too. One of the few times I saw her compete in person.
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that Hawaii was like kind of the first big flight that you had been on and kind of reflecting back. Amazing, the journey that Frisbee has taken you on now. it's You've gone on much longer flights overseas to, you know, Europe. Really, what an amazing journey this piece of plastic has taken you on.
2: Yeah, definitely. That's uh, one of the things I love about it.
1: Indeed. So, why don't we get into today's episode? We are going to continue our conversation with Skippy Jammer, and he's going to give us some insight into how he approached routine building back in the day. So, enjoy.
0: So, so another thing that I that I tried to do with my routines and was over time. Then there was a lot of photographs of me that made it into media, made it onto posters, onto T-shirts, things like that. And so I was able so I, I remembered what all of the film were and I used that as a tick list too. There was going to be a vacation in my routine. There was going to be an indigenous because there was a photo of me doing an indigenous on the cover of one of Bill's tournaments programs. There was um backside guidance, a lefty guidance uh, um, that was on a poster. So uh, that's going to be in the routine too. There's a photo of me doing a big flying flood. That's going to be in my routine. So I always tried to, when I caught it, I was doing it in such a way that if it was going to be a photo of it, it was going to be on a poster. I wanted to have this maximum amplitude. So when a photo was taken of me, then it was referencing back to this was on a poster or a program and it looked really cool. And so if somebody takes another photo of it, then it lends itself to that.
1: So this seems like it might be a good segue, actually, to talk about move innovations and terminology since you were just kind of talking about indigenous and vacation. So you were really kind of leading that whole, you know, naming moves and the terminology and a lot of that really came from your brain. So I would love for you to kind of share that process with our audience out there and kind of just dive into that and uh, let us know how that came about for you.
0: So um deep in the timeline, then there was a, a Finnish uh, guy, an old school Finnish guy named Seppo Neiman and, and he was doing his PhD thesis on language, how um, the language of Frisbee is so unique; it's a language unto itself. And so he developed this this um, terminology list, and I can't remember how many uh, entries he had into it. But he kept bumping up against these terms, and he and everyone was always going, "You're gonna have to talk to Skippy about that one." And so finally, he gets a hold of me, and he's like, two weeks before he was to uh, submit this to his professor, you know, with his submitted um, uh, paper, and so he was. I was able to get it. It was um, newly at the age of the internet, so it finally comes to me. I take it and I build it by one third. I send it back to them and I reference who came up with the term and all that stuff. It goes. I can't use this. You've completely revamped what it is. I said. Well, at least it's accurate. What it does was it shows that there's so much knowledge and terminology out there that it goes beyond what anybody's singular focus is. It needs to be you know viewed from a community. Now, with that said, when I was in Modesto, then we were very much into satire. We were very much into words, language. Um, So when we started to do these moves, I mentioned uh, an efflex or a flared or a flame dots, things like that, I would just start to call things that. It just came naturally to me. I didn't think about it. i just go, oh, yeah, that was a really flared thing. A flared was referencing to a, a chimney, a rock climb in Yosemite that I had done. It was just the way you put your legs against the two sidewalls, you know, it flares you out into this flared chimney. So, you know, catching, catching a flared, I go, well, that's like that flared chimney move. So we were also trying to amuse each other. And then when I moved to Sonoma, at the time— I would never stop a jam until I had done something that I had never done before ever in my life. It was, you know, there was so much of an inventive energy to what we were doing. You could literally do that every single jam, do something brand new that had never been done before. And so the rule was that when you do that move, then you name it. So I was producing all of these moves or I was taking moves that other people were doing and they didn't have names for it. Then I would adapt it as my own and call it an indigenous. So. I guess looking at the total volume of it, then, yeah, I would just had that creative mindset. I loved using words. I was was always trying to amuse myself and entertain others. And it was never part of a grand plan, but nobody else was doing it. And so I started doing it. And then on top of it, then at the time, Bill Wright was running the the FPA forum. The FPA forum was uh, the communication vehicle for the freestyle community and um uh, he knew that i that i like to write you know have fun so he was always pleading with me skippy i need more stuff i need more stuff for the forum so i would come up like with a terminology list um or for uh, a ufo's uh, tournament program you know just come up with a terminology list and so when you post that out there For the most part, people would go, oh, okay, well, that's what a flawed is. Okay, I didn't know that was called a flawed. That's a flawed. So that's how a lot of that terminology happened. Now, now getting back to the forum, the forum ended up being a really fun endeavor for me. And it was never part of a grand plan. I was always in a reactive position. And Bill was going, you know, we need more stuff for the forum. So then one time I'm at Sonoma State with Rodney. And we're going out for our daily jam. And so I said, hey, Rodney, take a photo of me. At the time, then there was a poster called the How to Spot a Nerd poster. And so, you know, that was in dorm rooms. And you'd see it in people's um, uh, living rooms or in their bedrooms. So I go, "Okay, well, I have an idea. I'm going to do one like how to spot a nerd, I'm going to do one how to spot a beach guy just jammers. So then I had Rodney take the photo, and then I did. I had Dan Exelby help me where I, I uh, took all of the, the references and the lines going to the auxiliary third world briefcase and talking heads cassettes and the atrophied upper torso and all that stuff. And then I sent it to Bill, and Bill just goes, oh, my God, this is brilliant. And then that went into another thing where there was a buddy of ours named Randy Buchelman. A lot of you uh, may remember Randy, but he was living in San Francisco when he was working at a silkscreen store. I'm down at the local watering hole in Katati, Sonoma State, and I'm drinking beer with Rodney and some other um, UFOs members. And somebody walks into into this um, the beer place and he's wearing a silkscreen shirt of how to spot a beach got his jammer. He took them, took the photo, that you know, the thing I had in the forum and he, he blew it up and he added color to it. And he goes walking by like he doesn't even know who I am. I'm just going, what is that? Finally, I figured out it was Randy Buchman pulling my chain. And so then that started a whole run of those shirts. And I don't know how many times we've gone through them, five, six different versions of them. So that really became iconic. And that was a product of the, the forums
1: kind of amazing so the terminology it really has stuck so when you hear people saying you know they're doing indigenous you know everybody's using that terminology today so does that kind of give you kind of i don't know if pride is the right word but you know is it kind of cool to see that these names that you came up with they're stuck and it's not just like four or five names there's dozens of them that you came up with so does that feel kind of cool to have that be still alive today it
0: does, but but i look at it from the uh, perspective of getting back to what sepo uh E uh-huh focus was on that this is this is language it's alive it's constantly evolving for example when I first started to do what I called the flare um, I'm sorry a flame dots a flame dots at the time when we developed it it was a figure four or a grapevine catch it started off as a as a trap where you trap the disc with your hand onto your foot so you weren't catching it with your hand you're trapping it onto your foot and so we called that a flame dots I don't know why but that's what we called it and then um, when other people started to do it because again I didn't I didn't invent it. Somebody was going to find that along the way, and certainly they did. So somebody else finds it, and they call well, that's a grapevine. Somebody else goes, oh, that's a figure four. So some of the things I brought to the table that I termed, if you will, didn't stick, like uh, an inverted flamingo. This was uh, maybe a little bit of a pet peeve for me in that people, I see people call it an Arvond or um, what some of the other names that it's called. To me, that's an a inverted laser. flamingo. Yeah, yeah, a laser. Yeah, so you know why? Why doesn't our sport have an invert? Why? Why can't we have a flying invert? That is our flying invert. Why don't we call it that? That's just me. So I look at it as language is alive. Um, it doesn't have to follow a logical progression. You take something and you and um, you apply it to how you see fit. Also, things like uh, another one that came up recently was analogous and off of indigenous. You know what? What is an, an analogous? Um, what is uh, an extraneous? Um, How is an extraneous different from China syndrome? Um, So things like that. To me, it's entertaining. And it it is an honor um, to see that kind of extended legacy of things that I came up with. But it's not across the board. I think I guess that's my point.
1: So what I think the beauty that you brought to this whole language is that it didn't make sense. So I get a flamingo, but like you say, a flame dot. Why'd you call it a flame dot? I don't know, but it's it's kind of cool. But, you know, like Brain Hotel, Alien Birth Ritual. I mean, all of this stuff doesn't really match the move, but, you know, it just matched your brain.
0: Yeah, you're right. But with my mindset then. Alien birth ritual. Okay, so there's a move called birth and it's not B I R T H, it's B E R T H like a, a sailboat birthed in a harbor. Uh-huh. So you're holding the disc under your leg as you're crouched just like the sail ship the vessel is waiting to undock. So that's the birth. So then it just kind of expanded well the move gets you into the birth position so then I just flipped it so now it's B I R T H. Again, I'm a little bit off topic, but that was my that was my process that's if not you off will. Topic.
1: That's there is a, there is a process. <laughs> yeah, that's not off topic at all. That's right that's on right spot. On
0: topic. So, so so here's how indigenous came along. Was was I start? I wanted to do that that cross body under the ankle catch, but the way I started doing it was with the claw delay because I was jamming with Cray Craven Sickle was living in Katadi at the time. Uh, during that summer of uh, what was it um, 85 maybe 84 something like that and so I was trying to do the claw thing like he does it so I would swoop it behind my back and when I would catch it my back leg would completely clear so it looks like I'm catching a duh because my leg was almost coming all the way down by the time I'm catching it so it looks like an illusion so that was how I was looking at it it was indigenous it's like a duh. it's like native to what you were already doing before and then it just kind of caught. It became DIG or indig or something like that.
2: So indigenous, so then extraneous and what was the other one? How how are those all different?
0: Yeah, so extraneous was okay, you're now you can catch it under the back leg under the the back ankle. But now you throw the other leg up there. So it's going under both legs, basically flipping the hand. So it's not a flawed. It's under the ankles. And so that's the extraneous. So it's, you know, it's not of this earth. It's from somewhere else. And then China syndrome is actually an extraneous. There's no difference. It, Mikey Reed was doing just flying death extraneous is wiping out.
2: Oh, they're the same thing? I did not know that. So an extraneous is under both legs. Both legs are in the air. It goes under yeah. both legs when you're reaching across your body and catching yeah. it. Are you landing yeah. on your feet, or does it matter?
0: No, you're wiping out. You're wiping out. I okay. mean, at least I do. Uh, Pac Perosco probably wouldn't wipe out. He could probably do it with grace, but okay. I couldn't do that. Okay,
2: and a China syndrome is the same thing. I th- I thought China okay. syndrome meant your legs were higher, and you crashed, and I actually thought extraneous was something completely different. <laughs> Set the record straight. I don't know.
1: They're, they're both above my pay grade. That's all I know.
2: <laughs> no, come on. But is there a difference as to whether your palm is up or palm is down or hand is inverted?
0: So what I was doing was if palm was up, then that was, that was uh, indigenous. If, if palm was down, that was analogous. Okay. It was similar to indigenous.
2: What about like inverted? But
0: the, an invert is what I call a tron. So oh. anything that was tron is tronic. So you invert the wrist like Digitron.
2: Digitronic. It's an,
0: it's an indigenous Tronic set. Does God. that make sense?
2: Yep, that makes so much sense. That's why it's yeah. the Digitronic skid under the leg.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Got it, okay.
0: Instead of twistle flex, <laughs> you're doing it dynamic, so that's dino flex. Dino flex. It's not stacked to the hand behind your back. What's the dino Shining part? It it's, it's dynamic.
2: Because why?
0: Because you're shooting it. It's a uh, crossbody uh, under the leg shoot.
2: Oh, got it. See, there's so much logic to this, Randy. You're saying it's just all random, but it actually all connects back together. You just have to talk to Skippy to get it, to just understand it.
1: Look, I'm right here with you guys, and it all sounds like gobbledygook to me. So
0: so so Mike, so Mike Galoop comes up to and and goes, so Skippy, I figured it out. There needs to be an app called, what would Skippy call it? And you just feed the poop into it, and then the term would come up. That is so, so give credit to Mike Galoop for that one.
2: Yep. What would Skippy call it? That's a good one um godzilla's puke what is that
0: okay so we're at the beach me and tommy we're doing the, the lab thing down at at Guidas beach at the end of 12th avenue in santa cruz and tommy does some crazy combination with all these skids and it's on the edge honest to god i don't even know what it was but i go whoa holy shit what was that tommy and he goes godzilla's puke i go nice that works so, again, it doesn't even matter what it is. It's, you can call it anything now. Yeah. It wasn't like Alien Birth Ritual was actually something that, you know, you could reference back. The Tommy's move, I don't honestly know what it was. But you can you reapply it just to use the term to keep people entertained.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's any shred move that you've yeah. never seen before. Yeah. You just, like, throw your hands up and it's go, Godzilla oh, my God, Godzilla's. Yeah. Puke. I think it yeah. has to
2: be five <laughs> skids or more. And they have yeah, to has all to be, be restricted.
1: Skids. There has to be
0: some. <laughs> commonality with it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the forum, once again, Bill's hounding me, we need content. We, you know, uh, I need to build this thing up more. So I started to do this list that, that um, I would just do to have fun with my friends. So I would do, come up with categories, most turbo player of the year, best party, and just come up with like this uh, uh, with a list. And then I tried to try to apply names to it just to give recognition diversify it. Uh, So i mentioned as many people as I can and just did it tongue in cheek that Skippy says that um, that Rick is the player of the year. And so, you know, I'm just having fun with it, but then there was nothing else that was out there. So that was the only point of reference. So even when it was done kind of tongue in cheek, there was nothing else to rival it. So people took it seriously and that wasn't the intention. But again, since there was a void for that kind of stuff, It got a lot of credibility. Again, it was just me saying it. And also to to my astonishment, people started taking it seriously and no one ever really challenged it. I thought for sure that people would say, oh, that's a bunch of BS and I had a better year than Rick Astiglia. It's like, why is he giving him the credit? That never happened. And then every year I started to do it and then it built into something more legitimate where it was something that people really looked forward to you could make the list of most improved or most turbo wow that really made your whole year that you got that recognition and it's in print right there you could show it to your mom you can show it to your friends you can take it to work and say look i am the most turbo and it says so right here and so that was also really cool and then that dovetailed into what became the decades list and so the decades list was also an extension of that where it's basically a blown up skippy says thing where Okay, I had to reflect on on the decade of the eighties, which is what happened once it flipped from the eighties to the nineties. And I remember driving in the car with Bill Ryder in Fort Collins and I just crunched all of this, this data. and I turned to Bill and I go, nice decade, like you had a very nice decade, Bill. And he's like, well, thank you. So to have that kind of recognition to somebody, that hey, yeah, you really had a good decade and you're being acknowledged for it. Um, so that was really cool. And then now it's grown over time. In fact, I'm getting ready to come out with the 2010s decades list fairly soon. So that's on the that's on the burner, too. So I look forward to being able to present that back. There's some great names on that list. So, so another thing that was interesting about that was um, – Uh, after the decades list the the next endeavor was the hall of fame i started to look closely at that going wow it's like you know the the skippy says stuff and the the decades list that's all coming from me and that's all that's all fine and good but it, it it was never intended to have a strong sense of legitimacy so with the hall of fame and that was the endeavor that I looked at next, was that looking at that going, this can't be a Skippy Says thing. It needs to have legitimacy. I need to have process. So it literally took me, I don't know, 20 years, almost 20 years maybe, to come up with the, the methodology and to be able to apply that rigorously into a system that I think is fairly sound. It's not perfect, but I think it it, it works Pretty well. Being able to collaborate with people like Storick and Paul Mary and some of the old timers. It really helped a lot. Then also studying a lot of the other Hall of Fames, um, the other Disc Hall of Fames, the the Guts or, or the Frisbee Hall of Fame, if you will, the Ultimate Hall of Fame, uh, the Disc Golf Hall of Fame, seeing what works with them, uh, with those systems and seeing where they're limited. Then I'm very proud of what we've accomplished as a committee. And I'm very proud of what I've contributed to the, the Hall of Fame process and the results of that. I, I think it's really something unique and something that um, we're all
2: proud of. It's a great system. I love being able to acknowledge all of the great players who have both yeah. been great competitors and been great contributors to the sport. So it's wonderful.
0: You know when Stork really nailed it when he he recognized that these are life affirming events. So if you are inducted into that hall of fame, then it's it's pretty damn deep where that, that's again, that's life affirming where that's one of the true highlights of your entire life being recognized for what you did within the context of you being a freestyler.
2: Well, you know, I gotta say, I really love talking to Skippy and hearing his stories. Uh, just, uh, I don't know, it's it's a little it's a little more personal for me. You know, we've been interviewing a lot of people and hearing about the history of the sport and its history that I wasn't involved in. So it's really fascinating and fun to learn. But Skippy was like a huge influence on me, and he was still playing. And a lot of the a lot of the people around me were telling me what a great guy Skippy was, what a great jammer and leader and influencer. And so, you know, I have all my own preconceptions, and then to get to hear him tell the story, it's just really it's eye opening. It's really cool, and it's just really personal for me. So, um, hearing about the Skippy says, for example, when I when I started playing, to me that was like the the Bible about who was succeeding in the sport, who was really playing well, who was like who were the people to watch. And so um, at some point I got mentioned in Skippy Says, and I was like, oh my God, that's a huge milestone for me in my career. So it's fun to hear him talk about how it was started as a spoof and really wasn't meant to be this big thing. And, and it's also kind of cool to see how it's grown into the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, that foundation was laid by him about recognition and recognizing the achievements Of folks in it so yeah very cool and and what an important part and piece that he's played in our sport for sure yeah totally
2: and well it is it's as a player it is really special to be recognized like that uh be it from skippy or from anywhere really when you get recognition you just uh you feel validated in a way like all this effort that you're putting in really has meaning and so um one thing i wanted to ask you randy is you've been inducted into the hall of fame how does it feel for you
1: Well, it's very surreal. And like you say, you don't realize the importance of it. And then when you get acknowledged, it's sort of like, wow, that really is kind of emotional and, you know, what it does to you to be recognized. So really an honor and amazing to think that I've been playing for 40 plus years. It just seems like it has gone by so fast. And I'm so lucky to have found this crazy piece of plastic that has enriched my life for sure.
2: Yep, me too. So I just want to say a special thank you to all our listeners out there. Um, We love your support. And uh, I just wanted to give a quick plug to the t-shirts and mugs. So it's uh, holidays coming up and Frisbee Guru t-shirts and mugs make great gifts. So if you want to support our cause and keep us going, that's one way you can do it.
1: And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time.